Hey everybody, welcome to British Church UK's podcast. Our vision is to be planted for the community here in Launceston. We pray the messages you listen to on our channel will bless you this week. We thank you that you're a God who's faithful, a God who is good. And we hold on to that promise and that truth that ultimately you'll never let us down. You always stand with us in the trials and the challenges. I just pray that you continue to speak to us and meet with us through your word and by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. So good. It's it's an amazing privilege and joy to be here. Uh, Rach, I think she might be probably crawling on her knees, playing with some toys with our two-year-old in there. But uh, we absolutely love Sam and Mandy. And so you as a church, uh, we followed your journey. We care about you and um, feel a deep connection to you and what God is doing in and through you. And I want to say firstly, thank you that you've been so kind of releasing of Sam particularly, who has been an unbelievable gift and blessing to us in Birmingham, Brayton Island Church called Gastry. And uh, we met Sam, I don't know, three plus years ago and had a very unusual conversation with him. We kind of were thinking about someone who might come and help us think missionally and Sam came and just kind of ripped up the sort of manuscript and this whole adventure began where we've seen so much life and blessing and innovation and uh, buildings and wherever Sam goes, soft play seemed to follow him closely behind. You know, that's his, his anointing, you know. <laughs> so, but, but in, in all seriousness, God has used this man in an amazing way to open up something really significant for us in Birmingham. And uh, for Rachel and I, we're eternally grateful to Sam, but also we're so grateful to you for being willing to be a part of uh, that. And, and we just think Mandy is... Uh, as close to a saint as you're me and her, her <laughs> and her beautiful kids. So it's a real joy to be with you today. I want to look at a, a passage of scripture, a story found in Joshua, Joshua chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, um, turn to it, or I think it's going to come up on the screen. And uh, we're at this critical moment for the people of Israel, for Joshua the leader. Joshua has taken over from Moses. And uh, you'll know the story, the people of Israel were held as slaves in Egypt for well over 400 years. And the captivity and the agony of that must have been so acute. And then God raises up Moses and this incredible miracle happens. The people of Israel are led out of captivity through the Red Sea to freedom. And all along the way, God has promised them this land, this promised land, where they can finally lay down roots, where they can make home, and they can begin to fill the land and grow as a nation and finally have a place to call home. And this land was going to be full of abundance and blessing flowing with milk and honey. But as the people of Israel passed through the Red Sea, rather than entering in and taking hold of the promised land, because of their grumbling and their sin and lack of ability to follow the way of God, they end up wandering around the desert for 40 years. And again, must have been asking themselves all these questions. Are we ever going to inhabit this promised land? Land And in this passage of scripture, we see the moment where suddenly, early in the morning, 
this kind of sense of a, a moment of sudden breakthrough, God's going to lead them again through a passage of water, this time it's the River Jordan, to finally inherit the promised land. So uh, Joshua 1, starting, Joshua 3, sorry, starting at verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. Interesting place to live, hey? And went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance, about 2,000 cubits before you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that you may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests, who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Then skipping forward to verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great heap a distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So this amazing moment, this amazing miracle. And as the people of Israel, now under the leadership of Joshua, and I love the way that God publicly affirms Joshua and says, look, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And I know as a church, you're in a moment of transition with Sam and Mandy preparing to move to Canada. You did all know that, right? Uh, <laughs> haven't dropped that bombshell on you. Uh, but I believe God would say to you, as I was... With Sam and Mandy, I'm going to be with you. The God who has led you thus far is not going to Canada. He is here with you. He's going to continue to lead you and empower you to do amazing things, to see his kingdom come in this area of Cornwall as it is in heaven. So be hopeful, be expectant, and keep going. And what happens in this story is uh, Joshua says, look, we're to follow the priests who are carrying the ark. Now, the ark of the covenant represented the very presence of God. It was completely holy and other. And so in this moment, the people of Israel are being told to follow the Ark of the Covenant, follow the presence of God. Why? It says here, because then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. If we want to step into new territory, new areas of breakthrough, new areas of blessing, then we need to understand, we need to be a people who learn to be led by the Holy Spirit, the great guide. 
who wants to lead us, awaken us, and enable us to step into our promised lands, to areas in our life where we will see fruitfulness, we will see kingdom activity, and we'll see blessing and breakthrough. And all around us, particularly today, we're seeing so much challenges come against the church. The church being pushed more and more to the margins of society, a secular agenda uh, kind of coming in, disrupting everything. More and more people disengaged with church. I don't believe they're disengaged with God because I think people are still spiritually so inquisitive, but the church has lost some of its power of connecting with people and leading them into the presence of Jesus Christ. There's so many challenges, but if we're going to see breakthrough, if we're going to be a church and a people that really communicate the gospel message, the love of Jesus Christ and the hope that is to come, we're not going to simply see it by following old models, by following business models, business patterns, business strategies, by kind of reading old books and thinking, well, that's how it worked for this denomination or this church. I believe in this day and age, if we're going to see real breakthrough and transformation, it will only happen as we surrender and allow ourselves to be led by the Holy Spirit. I want to show you a picture. Hope it's going to come up on the screen. It's a picture of a bridge. And this bridge here, made at great cost, great expense, huge number of engineering hours to build this bridge. And a bridge, of course, is always built to enable people to move from one side to another, to cross, uh, in this case, a piece of water. But what has happened is the river has moved. And now you are left with this completely redundant, useless bridge that has no purpose and no use whatsoever. And I believe if the church refuses to open our hearts and our agendas to the spirit of the living God, we will become like this bridge. Man-made, redundant and ultimately useless. Because the river of God has moved and we failed to jump in to the river. Of course, many will know the river of, um, of God is symbolic of the pouring out of the Spirit often throughout Scripture. So I say to you, Bridge Church, as you prepare for a new season of life, of ministry, allow yourselves to be led by the Spirit. Of course, plan. You know, order in worship, liturgy, thinking things through, studying and bringing our best is essential. But let's hold our plans lightly. Let's be a people who are asking God, what are you doing? Where are you leading? I mean, a few little keys I've found in terms of trying to be a people that do what we're called to do in Galatians 5 verse 25, which says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. How do we keep in step with the Spirit? Well, we need to be a people of prayer and a people of the Word. That daily we're coming back praying, God, would you lead us today? Would you enable us to keep us in step? Would you maybe slow us down at times or maybe would you propel us forward? But through prayer and through study of the scripture and submitting ourselves to the authority of scripture, we keep in step with the spirit. But also I've discovered in leadership and life that you keep in step with the spirit when you keep asking questions. The best leaders are the people who ask the best questions. And one of the questions I've learned to ask in my life is, Spirit of the living God, what are you doing? Where are you moving? I've spent so much time praying, God, I'm doing this and you're going to bless it. Come on, let's go. And then you wonder why you end up being so exhausted and 
burnt out and frustrated. But when we say, God, what are you doing? Where are you moving? Where does there seem to be favor? And then putting your resources and your energy behind that, that's when you begin to see so much more fruit and abundance. So in everything you're doing, whether it's farming or uh, graphic design or you're studying or your full-time care at home, a mum or a dad, be a people who are constantly asking God, where are you moving? What are you blessing? What are you saying to me? It enables us to keep in step. And then the other thing we need to do as a people, if we're going to be a people of the Spirit, is there's a moment where you always have to risk. I've been studying this a lot of late around how so often, almost always through Scripture, God empowers the weak and the vulnerable. He encourages people to step out in faith where they can feel foolish and overwhelmed. And it's when we're weak that his power is poured out most because it demonstrates his glory, his surpassing power. We hold this treasure in jars of clay. And so there's always a moment if we're going to be a people of the Spirit where we need to learn to take risks. I was just reminded of a story of a guy who used to be in our student ministry called Ben. And uh, he was a brilliant American footballer. And he played American football for the Birmingham University. And uh, while he was at university, his faith really uh, came alive. And it got to the point where he felt that his passion for American football was so great, it was almost kind of rivaling his passion for Jesus. So he felt called for a time to stop playing American football so he could focus on his faith. So he went to the coach and said, look, I'm going to stop playing. Um, and actually, they would train on a Tuesday nights when our students would meet. And he said, look, I feel I need to step out of playing American football. I want to take my faith more seriously. I'm going to go to the student ministry thing on a Tuesday night. Uh, and I'm really sorry. And I think the coach was really disappointed because he's one of their star players. And uh, I think after he left, the team started to do really badly. So I think the coach went back to him and said, look, please, please, can you come back and play? And we'll, we'll make it work where you don't have to train regularly on a Tuesday. Uh, but you need to tell all the team why going to students is so important. Tell us about your faith. So he gathered like these 30 guys in a room, shared his story, his faith, and why he wouldn't be around much on a Tuesday. And the season proceeded. They were doing well. Came to the end of the season. And it was a Tuesday night, they didn't have any training, and he said to a bunch of the guys, do you want to come to our student ministry? And ten of them turned up. And so it was Tuesday night, ten of these big American footballers uh, walk into this room, there's about 70-odd students, and they began to worship like we've just been worshipping. At the end of the worship, Ben is filled with the Spirit, and he, he begins to, to sing out this song. Now, Ben is a student, he's an American footballer, he's not a worship leader, he's not a singer. So, you know, it was ropey at best. But he just was so filled with the Spirit, he just thought, I have to sing out this song. And I'm like, you've got your ten American football friends, that is not the moment to do something weird like that, you know, keep it safe. But anyway, he goes with it, sings out this song, and as he begins to sing, the Spirit of God begins to fall, and a number of these American footballers begin to weep. And our student leader, a guy called Tim uh, Muller, um, he gets up and he senses what's happening and he begins to just briefly share the gospel and invites anyone who wants to give their lives to Jesus to put up their hands. And four of these American footballers put up their hands and give their lives to follow Jesus. They say yes to him, inspired by an incredible step of faith, a real risk. And 
Ben, he allowed me to share this. He, he emailed me and he said this. The bottom line is, if you found me at some point last year, probably hung over with my hands in my pockets and said that God desired to move through me to bring people to Christ on this American football team, I'd have probably laughed and then probably sighed. But through the small steps of obedience over the last year or so, God has taken what little faith I have and changed the atmosphere. I truly believe God has called each and every one of us to be a culture shaper. And it is so important that we remember the authority that we carry when we, when we wield the power of the gospel and the hope that it carries. To be a people of the Spirit, we need to pray and study the Scripture. We need to ask questions, but we need to be a people of risks. And that will at times create a bit of mess. But I love what John Wimber, founder of the Vineyard Movement that had a huge impact on many churches in the UK, said this, that it's neat and tidy in the graveyard. It's alive and messy in the nursery. Churches should always be a place of life. And therefore, they should always and will always be a place of mess. And if everything is so controlled, so coordinated, everyone is so afraid, something has gone, I'd suggest, tragically wrong. Be a people of the Spirit. The story goes on. And Joshua says these powerful words to the people of Israel just before this momentous miracle of the passing of the Jordan. He says, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves. Purify yourselves. Consecration was this act of setting yourself apart, recognizing the purity and the holiness and the otherness of God and recognizing our own weaknesses and sinfulness and limitations and ego and greed and all of these things and saying, God, I am so sorry. And going through this, often they'd, they'd wash their clothes, they'd purify themselves in water to say, God, we need to be clean before you. It's a moment of surrender, of recommitment, and of um, repentance and if we are going to see God do great things which I believe we will I feel so hopeful so many ways but we have to be a people of repentance we have to learn what it is to consecrate ourselves we need to learn once again what it is to confess one of the things I think we're seeing happening in the wider church is things that have been hidden in the, light, in the darkness are coming into the light. Patterns of behavior that are just completely wrong are being exposed. And it is profoundly painful for many. But I believe what God is doing is he's purifying his bride, his church. And there's a call on us to consecrate ourselves. And my understanding is when we choose to be the ones to humble ourselves and repent and get right with God, he will lift us up. And it's much better we take the first step than God humbling us. Because we refuse to acknowledge our weakness and our sin. And there's a danger, I believe, in the church that we've allowed culture to set the tone. We, we, we've allowed culture to form and shape us in what we believe is right and wrong and a whole raft of different issues. And I believe God is saying that no, we need to be a people of his word, a people of purity who exercise kindness and grace and compassion and generosity, who care about the weak, who care about those who've been marginalized, but also who care about the holiness of God. And if you study any great revival, which let's be honest, we desperately need in this country. 
If you study any great revival, they are almost always preceded by a season of repentance and consecration. A couple of years ago, I read this article in The Spectator by a guy called Ben Sixsmith. And he said this, which absolutely just hit me for six. He said, I'm not religious, so it is not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there's nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much like they want to become more like me. Someone looking in at the church saying, it's like the church is just trying to live like the world. But God is saying, no, you are to be set apart pure, holy. And this holiness isn't something we work up in our own strength. Holiness is this gift through the blood of Jesus where he washes us white as snow, where he forgives us and he sets us apart. But holiness is when we keep recognizing, ah, that thought, that attitude, that response in that moment, the way I treated someone, when we recognize, ah, that wounded the heart of God and wounded others, we get right before God quickly. Holiness is keeping in step with the holiness that God has blessed us with. So I ask you, what areas do you need to bring into the light? Where do you need to consecrate yourselves today? Where do you need to get right with God? Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do great things among you. And so the story continues. The people consecrate themselves and then God begins to speak and he gives direction to Joshua and, and the, the Levites, the priests who are holding the Ark of the Covenant. They're told to go and step into the River Jordan. Now the River Jordan uh, usually throughout the year would be kind of about 100 foot wide. But we're now in flood season so the River Jordan would be about a mile wide. And you've got the logistical nightmare of trying to get well over a million Israelites, men, women and children, across this huge river, fast flowing. Health and safety, risk assessment, I think, would suggest find another way. But God, he says, take a step into the river. And it makes no sense because how can they possibly all walk through the river? They'll all get washed away. But they choose to be obedient to the leading and the direction of God. And so they take a step in to the river. And what we're told what we're told is that upstream, the water begins to pile up. So a miracle has happened upstream. Suddenly the water has stopped flowing down. It's piling up in a massive wall of water. But for the Levites and the priests and the Israelites, they can't yet see that. So they're walking out, not knowing that a miracle is happening upstream. And so they have to keep walking in faith. And I imagine them, you know, the first step is a bit scary. It takes courage. But you've got one foot in the water, but you've also got one foot on the dry ground. You're kind of hedging your bets. And I wonder if some people here today, you're still living your faith like that. You're slightly hedging your bets. You know, one foot in the river of God, but, you know, one foot firmly in the size of your bank account or the security of your job or holding on to particular relationships. But there's a moment for each and every one of us if we're really fully going to be alive in Christ 
where we have to take our foot off those things of the world that we put so much trust and hope in and we go fully in, fully in, two feet into the river of God. There's no going back. And that's what the Israelites do. And they begin to walk out. And as they begin to walk out, what they begin to see is the river is reducing. The water is flowing away. But they're finding the, the levels going down and down and down. And eventually they're walking across on dry ground. Complete an utter miracle. I wonder where God is calling you to step out in faith, to take a risk. I wonder if there are things you feel God's been saying but you've been holding back from doing because it feels too costly, too much. Starting up a new business, having another kid, serving in a particular ministry here at Bridge, whatever it is. You feel like, oh, I haven't got what it takes. I couldn't possibly do it. It feels too much. Could I squeeze it in with my scheduling? And God is saying, take a step of faith because you can't see that there's a miracle that's happening upstream that you're going to walk into. I remember seven plus years ago, Rachel and I were in London. I was the worship pastor of a church called HDB. And we loved it. London was amazing. You know, I had a staff team. Everything was fantastic. But then we began to feel this call to plant a church. And we're thinking, you know, some exotic, you know, Paris, Tokyo, Hawaii. Uh, and then the opportunity came up for Birmingham. Uh, it was like, initially, it's like, okay, <laughs> let's see. And I actually grew up in Birmingham. So I wasn't, to be honest, completely thrilled about the prospect of going back. But we went up and we met the Bishop of Birmingham. And we just walked around the city and we heard some of the stories about, you know, Birmingham demographically is the youngest city in the whole of Europe. The church there has been struggling. And we just saw all of these things and thought, why not? Why not? But then there's a massive step of faith. We found this warehouse and we uh, had to buy, we were invested to buy at 1.2 million. But we didn't even have a church congregation. And we needed to raise this 1.2 million to sort the building out and to get it ready for us to move into. And so I remember us moving it up to Birmingham with this warehouse we were trying to buy, trying to raise 1.2 million, just thinking, how on earth is this going to happen? We felt completely overwhelmed. We felt like we'd stepped into the river and we thought we were going to get washed away. But as we stepped out in faith, suddenly just money started to come in. I remember getting a phone call from a businessman in Malaysia saying, we want to give you a million pounds over five years. It's like, I'd, I'd never fundraised in my life. I once did a 24-hour you know, fast for Oxfam. You know, I'd raise about 33 pounds or something. Um, but God had done a miracle. He'd gone ahead of us. And resources came, people came. And we've seen God do something really special and extraordinary. But he'd done the miracle ahead and we had to, in faith, walk into it. And I wonder and I believe that there is so much that God has in store for you as a church that as you step out in faith, you're going to walk into. Even as you step out feeling like the loss and like the, the vulnerability of such outstanding, visionary, entrepreneurial leaders moving to Canada. It's like, ah, God, how is this going to work? But I believe... I believe for you as a community, and I long for you to hold on to this and pray into this, that God is doing a miracle upstream 
And it feels like, ah, two steps into the river, where's this going to go? But you're going to step into, and over the next months and years, think, God, you knew, you had a plan, you had a purpose, because you're above any leader, Lord. All we need is you, and if we commit to you, you can use us. And I believe that there are miracles you're going to step into, but it's going to take a bit of faith. And it's going to feel scary and overwhelming. I end with this. As I read this story, I'm struck by something. Firstly, struck by the way for 40 years the Israelites were wandering, meandering around, seemingly completely lost. In those moments, no doubt, trying to understand where is God? What are you doing? You promised us this land. You know, lamenting over their shortcomings and sin and desperate for a breakthrough, trying to be hopeful but also fearful of what might be, aware that they've just spent 400 plus years in captivity and is this going to be another 400 years before we enter the promised land? This season of the slowly. But then we read early in the morning. It's a suddenly moment. Suddenly they wake up. Suddenly, now is the moment. Suddenly the River Jordan you know, piles up high and they suddenly walk through into the promised land. And it seems to me a God often has two speeds. Slowly and suddenly. And we all want to live in the suddenly. And we all, I think, have been sold a lie that God's blessing is ultimately in the suddenly. But actually God grows us in the slowly. God forms us and shapes us and molds us and attunes us to him in the slowly. Where it feels like we've been forgotten. Where we have to put our hope and our security in him. When our faith is tested. When we keep coming back saying, God, regardless of the external circumstances, my hope is in you. Regardless of what is going on around me, still I will gather and I will sing. Because you are good. You are good. Always. You'll never let me down. It's in those moments that God really forms us. And I believe it's in those slowly moments he builds us, forms our character, so that when suddenly moments come, we can steward them well. Most leaders make the biggest mistakes in the suddenly moments. Because they believe their own press. They get caught up with the momentum. They get enamored by the success. So often, they're the most dangerous moments. And so if you feel like you're in a slowly moment, thank God that he's maybe forming you and shaping you so if suddenly moments come, you'll be able to hold them lightly. You'll be able to steward them well. You'll recognize that this is God. Of course, he's partnering with me. But this is not my own gifting, strength, leadership. This is God. And I want to encourage you, if you're going through a slowly moment, hang on. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Trust that God is doing a deep work and allow him in to do a deep work. Keep hopeful. Keep expecting. Don't allow cynicism to get a grip of your heart. If you've been hurt by the church today, don't allow cynicism, that hurt, to, to misrepresent God, to get in the way of your relationship with Him. Because we need to be a people that will be faithful in the hidden places 
so that when God suddenly, early in the morning, gets us up and says, today's the day you're going to walk into a miracle, a business that's going to explode, church growth, suddenly meeting someone that's going to change your life, whatever it is that you're ready for it, and you can steward that moment well. I, end of this story, I remember I was at university, and three years, where I, it was just such a, a low season for me. I was studying American history, didn't quite know where that was going to go, uh, felt really discouraged, battled with friendships, just felt like I was missing out, out of God's plans, and it's a really hard three years. Now, I know three years for many in terms of the slowly is, is actually quite short, but it's a really hard season. But while I was at university, just towards the end of my time, I wrote this song called Here I Am to Worship. Wrote it in my room, didn't think much of it. And um, after I'd finished university, I went to work um, at a church called Soul Survivor. And I, I remember being at a conference and I led that song. And something happened. And suddenly, within weeks, I was asked to go to America to record the song. Uh, I led worship at this conference in America where the song just kind of just something happened. It kicked off. And I was then getting messages from people all over the world saying, well, you know, we're singing this song. And that song changed my life. Doors suddenly flew open. I was asked to go and lead at these different conferences and to train worship leaders. And I was still so young. But actually, what I look back and thought, those three years where I felt like I'd been forgotten, where it felt like a slog, where I felt like, God, where are you? Actually, God was forming and shaping me, working on my character, keeping me close to him, so that when a suddenly moment happened, I could do my best to steward it in humility and to go with it. God is working in the slowly for some of you, but there will be suddenly moments there will be suddenly moments. So why don't we stand? And I want us to pray that the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit that hovered over the formless earth, the beginning of creation, the Spirit of God that led the people of Israel through the River Jordan, the Spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the grave, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that is here now. Get that in your head. The same Spirit is here now. Not just to help us to exist and to get through another week, but to empower us to be the people of God. So Lord Jesus, we love you and we welcome you by your spirit to come. Lord, I pray for this church, this amazing, stunning, beautiful church. I pray that you would watch over them. Lord, I want to pray a blessing over them. As they've been a community that blessed so many other churches and, and so blessed our church in Birmingham. Lord, I want to pray that you'd bless them immeasurably, even through the season of transition, that you'd provide for their every need and that they'd see life, that they'd see blessing, that they'd see salvation. May salvation spring up in this place. May they continue to see an increase in people giving their lives to, to you, Lord Jesus. Pray that you'd add resources, money, people who can lead in new creative ways. Lord, I pray that this church, I believe this church is going to be um, like a fountain, that new churches are going to come up out of it, that you're going to bless and refresh 
other church leaders and other churches all throughout this region. I think that's something on you for the future to really refresh other churches where they feel dry and parched and exhausted. People from here, maybe things like Flourish and others, leaders going and encouraging churches. It's going to be like it's going to water the land in this area, which will lead to so much growth, Lord. So I pray blessing on this community. But also, Lord, I want to pray. I want to pray for people here who feel like, I'm in this slowly. I feel so disillusioned, so discouraged. God, where are you? How can I even dare to begin to imagine that you could lead me through the River Jordan, overcome this hurdle, that God would want to anoint you and empower you to say, hang on, keep going. Believe. Suddenly moments are to come. Let's just take a moment just to receive by the Spirit. What I'd love to do is, is just to pray for a few people. and I don't know how you do it here. And, um, but if people are comfortable, I'd love just to invite, um, I'm going to show them what it is, but people to come forward. And in some ways, I, I feel like coming forward is a bit like the stepping into the river. But I think there are people here who feel like you're in that moment where it's like, ah, God, where are you quite? It's a, sub, it's a slowly moment. And we've all probably been in those moments, but for some of you, I think it's been actually quite a long season of that. And you've been going through the motions, you've been keeping faithful, but I just believe you need to know God's closeness and his encouragement and that you need to experience hope to grab hold of your heart and mind. And I believe the Spirit is wanting to do that. So, so if that's you, I'd love to invite you to come because I believe God wants to anoint you to keep going and prepare you for all that is to come. It, wherever you are, I just encourage you to step out from the aisles. Um, we'd love to pray for you. There's a few other groups I'd love to pray for. I'm going to start there. And I know it takes a bit of uh, vulnerability. Always the first person to come forward. But I, th- I think there are some people here who God really wants to encourage you afresh. And then I think, is there, is there a team, Sam, who could just come and begin to pray but Lord I pray for these brothers and sisters Lord I just pray that they'd know your encouragement right now, that they'd leave this morning feeling like God you've got it you're with me God never wastes a moment so come Lord Jesus, come by your spirit